You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast, presented by BetDSI. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts odds maker Nick Alikas to break down this Saturday's UFC 244 event, which takes place in New York, New York. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. Looking back at our last event, Kyle Marley's premium bets for UFC on ESPN Plus 20 won five units overall after winning his play on Mofsar Evloev. Kyle has his bets and fantasy MMA picks available now on MMAOddsBreaker.com. Back to the present, UFC 244 features a 12-fight card in total and will be aired on UFC Fight Pass, ESPN2, and Pay-Per-View this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off on Fight Pass is a featherweight contest between Julio Arce, who is 16-3, and and Hakeem Dewadu, who is 10-1-1. Now, Nick. Where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? As always, a couple quick shout-outs before we get rolling here. Make sure you guys head over to BetDSI.eu. That's our official sportsbook sponsor for the Oddscast. BetDSI is a great place to bet, so if you don't have an account there, head over to DSI and sign up and get your bets in for UFC 244. Speaking of getting your bets in, make sure you also head over to MMAOddsBreaker.com. Click on the Premium Picks tab and check out Big Marley 3's plays. He has his bet of the year available right now. It's a two, 10 unit, excuse me, a 10 unit max play that he has available. In addition, he has a couple other plays as well. So you can get his whole package that's there. And also DraftKings analysis is always spot on with Big Marley 3. Kyle Marley's the best in the business. So make sure you check out his picks. He's up over 255 units um, in the last 17 months alone. So the guy is money. So make sure you check it out. The premium picks tab at MMEOzbreaker.com. And also a quick shout out to the crew over at UFC on the line. Make sure you guys head over to UFC Fight Pass and check out our recent show. We did UFC 244, our, uh, basically our betting show for that card. It's available right now on UFC Fight Pass. So make sure you guys check that out as well. Now, getting right into this fight card. Duadu open minus 165, the comeback on Arce at plus 125. And right now, looking over at BetDSI, we are currently seeing Dawadu minus 125, the comeback on Arce at plus 104. So line margins have tightened up a little bit, a little bit more action coming in Arce's way. You have a battle of two strikers here that everybody's really looking forward to. And it's an intriguing matchup. I mean, there's no doubt that both these guys have skill on the feet. Both these guys are usually the ones that have success over their opponents. Both these guys are very accurate strikers. A lot of similarities as far as size goes. Um, Dawadu is going to have a little bit more reach. Uh, he's going to have, I believe, a two-inch or inch-and-a-half reach advantage, um, maybe one inch in height. So it's basically, again, they're going to be about the same size. I think the difference here is going to be Arce. I think he's improving a little bit more. I think what we're seeing in him, he's more than capable, obviously, of getting it done on the feet. But I think it's his overall game that I'm impressed with the most. I think Dawadu is a little bit probably better and capable of maybe outpointing Arce on the feet, but I think Arce is going to be the one landing the harder and cleaner shots as it goes, and he could be a little bit more effective. So I trust him. I think he's a little bit more durable. Both of these guys are definitely hittable, so these guys are going to have success definitely back and forth on each other here, but I think I trust Arce a little bit more as far as durability goes, and I think he's going to be the one landing the more effective shots along the way. And then when you 
look at their ground games, I think Arce is ahead of him as well um, in that aspect of things. So for me, I slightly side with Arce. I know it's going to be hard for Arce to kind of get the takedowns and probably get Dawoodoo on the, on, his, on the ground and uh, try to work for a submission. Um, but I could see it happening at some point in the fight as well. Um, so for me, I'm leaning a little bit more towards Arce. I just think he's the more complete fighter. I think he's going to be more capable overall. And it's not going to hurt that he's going to have the kind of the home crowd behind him. I think he's going to be motivated and he's going to be ready for this fight. I mean, he seems like he's in a good place pre-fight. It's definitely going to be one of the toughest fights of his life, but I think he's game. And at the plus money, I think it's worth a look as well. So my pick is going to be Arce to get the W here. Yeah, and I think this is definitely one of the, the best fights that the UFC has had to start out a preliminary card in a long time. Uh, Arce and Dewadu are two guys that could absolutely be, uh, contenders someday in the featherweight division. And they're meeting up right now, uh, you know, in the curtain jerker. I mean, it's crazy. Um, Arce was on a huge roll before, uh, Shaman Moraes, uh, handed him a little split decision loss, but looked really good in that last fight against Julian Arosa, won easily. Uh, Dewadu, you know, after a rough, Debut, he has been a world beater so far, just uh, smashing everyone on his current three-fight win streak. So, you know, these are definitely two guys with a lot of talent, both uh, very talented strikers. Uh, Arce has uh, some heavy hands. Duwadu mixes it up really well. I mean, he has a very dynamic striking game, uh, some strong kicks, spinning attacks. Uh, he also has some heavy hands as well. So uh, the, the way I see this fight playing out is honestly – I think uh, Duwadu is the better striker of the two. I think he's the more dynamic striker of the two. Um, Arce is going to be dangerous, and Duwadu has shown a little bit of a chin vulnerability. So uh, I think Duwadu will be winning this fight while it's standing, but I'm always going to be concerned that he could get clipped, whether it's uh, you know just a good solid punch or you know Arce does you know have a head kick in his game too after what he did to Erosa. So. Uh, Dewadu could get clipped at any moment, but I think that he'll be winning the stand-up fight. And for the most part, these guys are stand-up fighters. Arce does have a good ground game, but I don't think that he can just shoot in and put Dewadu on his back. I think it only goes to the ground if Arce hurts Dewadu. So uh, while this fight stays standing, I think Dewadu gets the better of it. And I think Dewadu can win a decision, if not a knockout. But throughout that entire 15 minutes, if it does take that long, I'm going to be concerned because uh, Dewadu is a little chinny and Arce could crack him at any moment. So I'm picking Dewadu because I think he wins, but he could be winning up until he loses, if you, you think about it that way. But uh, Dewadu is going to be my pick. Now... Moving up to the welterweight division, we have Lyman Good, who is 20 and 5, taking on Chance Rencounter, who is 14 and 3. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Good open minus 120, Rencounter open minus 120. And right now, what we're seeing over at BetDSI is currently good minus 116, Rencounter minus 103. So basically, line margins have tightened up a little bit to action coming into this fight. And it is a pick'em type of fight for sure. So this is going to be interesting, man. I mean, Rencounters look great since he's come into the UFC. There's no doubt about that. Um, of course, Lyman Good. Honestly, he's a very solid fighter. I'm glad that he got his shot back into the UFC because he's belonged on this roster for a long, long time. I know he's coming off of an unfortunate uh, loss to Damian Maya, but we all saw what Damian Maya's made of. He's one of the best grapplers in the history of the sport. So getting submitted by Maya is not necessarily 
a crazy thing or, you know, or a horrific loss by any means. I mean, that's exactly what Maya is supposed to do. Um, I mean, that's what he's, you know, capable of doing. He's done that to a lot of great fighters. So that loss doesn't look as bad for good now. And what you get in Lyman good is a very experienced, savvy vet that's actually still getting better. I mean, I know he's not a young buck at this point of his career, but at the same time, he's still, you know, got enough left in the tank where, you know, he's not an old man either. I think it, you know, he's age 34. So Rencounter's 32 as well. So these guys are kind of similar in age. Obviously Rencounter, I think is uh, younger as far as MMA years go, but I think Lima good still, he, even though he's been through some wars, he still has enough left in the tank. Um, and he's still in good enough shape and good enough mental condition to go out there and pull a, a nice winning streak together in the UFC. And it might start here with Rencounter. This is a tough fight for sure, because I think Rencounter could present a lot of problems to Lima good in the past. When you look, at Lyman Good struggles. It's been with guys that could actually take him down, hold him, control him a little bit, and work that ground game against him, obviously. And that's what Rencounter's going to look to do. Rencounter doesn't have bad striking either. He's going to have a little bit of length on the feet. Not much, though. But the striking edge will go to good here. So, even though Rencounter's looked really solid, and I mean, his first couple fights, like I said, uh, in the UFC, I mean, that win over Nardiov in his last fight was impressive, especially how good Nardiov looked in his um, UFC debut. So, Rencounter is really confident right now. He's showing a lot of good technique. I mean, he's, he's definitely a hard guy to deal with as far as his game plan and, and keeping him off you and, and staying upright. And, and then just even, like I said, on the feet, he, you gotta take him serious because he does bring it. He's got some length. He's got some skill on the feet as well. So it's not going to be an easy fight, but I do think good is capable for the most part of kind of stuffing some of the takedown attempts and keeping this upright and out pointing Rencounter because I think people are forgetting how good Pardon the pun, uh, Lyman Good really is. He's a solid fighter. He's not an easy guy to beat. So I'm going to lean with Lyman Good in this spot. Um, I'm going to go against the green. I know about Ren Counter is kind of a popular opinion here, and he might get it done. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. And if he does, hats off to him because that's another very solid win that he'll get over a, another solid vet. So, uh, but that said, I still think the Good gets it done here. I think he gets the win here. If he can stay off his back, he should have the edge. So my pick is Lyman Good to win. Yeah, this fight really boils down to can Rencounter get it to the ground? Because uh when he does, he usually wins. Um he has a very good ground game, strong wrestling. Um on the feet, you know, he is long and lanky, but he's definitely not as good of a striker as Lyman Good. Uh Lyman Good has more power, Lyman Good pushes a strong pace, Lyman Good has excellent striking technique. Um, he's been vicious on the feet his entire UFC run and even dating back to his Bellator days. Uh, but where Lyman Good has been thwarted has been when people can get him to the ground. Now, it's not easy. He does have pretty good takedown defense. But um, historically, when Lyman Good loses fights, he gets taken down. Uh, it happened, obviously, in the Maya fight. You know, Maya got a rear naked choke. Um, uh, you go all the way back, you know, Andre Koreshkov, uh Ben Askren took him down to, to, to take his title from him way back in the day in Bellator. Granted, that was nine years ago. So ages ago. But I'm just saying those are the situations where, uh, good has lost fights. So, uh, that's the type of situation that he's going to be in in this fight because, uh, on the feet, he's going to be getting the edge. Rencounter is effective and he's long, but he just, I don't think he can hang with good in extended stand-up exchanges. So, uh, the longer this fight stays standing, the better Lyman Good's gonna be doing, but I think at some point Rencounter closes that distance and drags him to the floor. I don't know if Rencounter will be able to get the finish. Uh, Lyman Good has historically been very difficult to finish. Uh, granted, 
Damian Maya made it look easy, but uh, everybody else, anytime he's ever lost, has been a close decision for the most part. So uh, I don't see Rencounter getting a finish, but I do think Rencounter can drag him to the floor in two out of the three rounds and steal a decision. So my pick's going to be Rencounter. I think uh, his wrestling and takedowns are going to be the key. So Rencounter's my pick. Now, dropping down to the women's flyweight division, we have Caitlin Chukagian, who is 12 and 2, taking on Jennifer Maya, who is 17, 5 and 1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Chukagian opened minus 140, the comeback on Maya at even money. And right now, what we're seeing over at BetDSI is Chukagian minus 159, Maya plus 132. So line margins have tightened up, more action coming in Chukagian's way. She seems to be the popular opinion here. I understand that she's going to have some length on her. She's the more popular, more hype fighter for sure. Chukagian, there's a lot of even before she entered the UFC, there was a lot of hype behind her, a lot of buzz behind her as well, and people were expecting some really good things. Now, of course, she's this close to a title shot, but I'll tell you what, she's had some really close, close decisions that kind of went her way that could have easily went the other way. Um, I mean, if you look at just one in her last fight, of course, I think Calderwood actually won that fight and she ended up getting it. Um, you know, so it, it, especially when it comes to ladies fights and the state of MMA judging that we say all the time, it, it's no surprise. I mean, women's fights are close when they get to the scorecards are competitive and you, so it's, it's, you never know which way the judges are going to go. And I think that might be the case here as well with Maya and Chukagian. So everybody kind of betting Chukagian up here thinking that she's going to stay on the outside, kind of outpoint Maya. And that could very well be the case. I think that's her path to victory clearly, um, is kind of just utilizing some of that length and staying busy and a little bit more active and, and trying to, you know, outpoint Maya. But I think Maya is going to be a little bit more aggressive. She's going to be the stronger fighter of the two a little bit. She's going to be the bully in this fight. I think she's going to be able to push Chukagian up against the cage at times. She's going to be able to close that gap. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if she gets top position at times on the ground either. I mean, I think that Chukagian is actually the better ground fighter overall, though. So Maya is going to have to be careful if that's the case. But I do like what I see as far as improvement goes from Maya. I think Chukagian's kind of one of these fighters that's really solid in all areas and very good. But I like the improvements that Maya's made throughout her career. If you look back at her Invicta fights and, you know, who she's fought and compared to how she is and how she's performing now thus far in the UFC, I think she's leaps ahead of where she was in the past for sure. She's a different fighter. She's a really solid fighter at this point. So I know it's not a popular opinion, but I like Maya here. So I think it's a dog or pass situation, and I'm going to go with Maya straight out. I think she wins this fight. A, a close decision, and again, if, if that's the case, who knows the, with the judges, but I think Maya should be able to edge this out. So the pick is Maya to win. On paper, Chukagian has a lot of the advantages. She's a little longer. She's taller. Uh, she fights at a high output. She definitely wins that, the point style game. Uh, but Jen, and Jennifer Maya can be a bit of a slow starter. So I could definitely see her, you know, losing the first round here. But, um, what Maya really does well is, uh, she presses forward. She can cut off the cage. She can win in the clinch. She throws, um, with more power. Uh, Chukagian, I mean, it is literally point fighting t- at, at its definition. Uh, you know, I have never seen her land a strike that I thought could actually hurt somebody. So, uh, in this fight, I think as long as Maya, like, can disrespect Chukagian's power, um, she can cut her off and start to throw the big shots. And Maya definitely throws, uh, with a lot more, you know, evil intentions. So, 
the way I see this fight playing out is Chukagian will be on her back foot, riding the bicycle, trying to pitter-patter her way to a decision victory. And Maya is going to be pressing forward, trying to land the bigger shots. I do think Maya can keep up with Chukagian's pace. So I think it'll be competitive in terms of uh, significant strikes landed. And uh, I also think that as this fight wears on, you know, Maya is going to be doing more damage as well. So I think it'll be close because of the way Chukagian fights. She always has close decisions, but uh, I think Maya with the power and the technique that she has uh, will overcome Chukagian's uh, length and, uh, you know, pitter patter strikes. I think, uh, I think the judges will be swayed by more damaging strikes. And I think Chukagian will barely be bleeding at some point in this fight. I think uh, Maya will land something good on the nose or on the, uh, you know, the, the, the cheek, maybe start get a cut near the eyelid or something uh, that'll really make it look more effective for Maya. So uh, I, I just think Maya at this point is the better fighter and uh, Chukagian loses these types of fights when she faces somebody that's more aggressive and is capable of landing with good technique. So uh, Maya's already got a couple quality wins under her belt since dropping down. Her last two wins are solid. Uh, over, uh, you know, Davis and Modafferi. And I think uh, she gets another quality win here and potentially could earn a title shot with this win. So uh, Jennifer Maya is going to be my pick as well. Now, moving on to the ESPN2 uh, preliminary card, we have a heavyweight contest between Andre Arlovsky, who is 28 and 18, taking on Jerzino Rosenstruik, who is 8-0. Now, Nick... What's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Rosenstruck open minus 170. The comeback on Orlovsky plus 130. And right now, what we're seeing over at BetDSI, similar line. Rosenstruck is actually minus 164. The comeback on Orlovsky plus 137. So line margins have tightened up. And there is two-way action coming into this fight. Hard fight for people to bet because Rosenstruck just looks like a beast, absolute beast thus far in the UFC. And there's no doubt about it. I mean, just destroying his opponents and showing the kind of power that the guy really has um, over and, and you know what? The guy is, is the type of fighter that really has, if you look at his pre-UFC fights, I mean, you could see, again, improvement of his game uh, in his game as he goes. I mean, he's getting better. I mean, we're seeing signs of, of this guy legitly putting the work in and, and getting um, more confident and, and getting to the point where he's actually effective with what he wants to do and, and getting off his back a little bit easier, getting harder to take down everything. His whole game is complete. He's got a freakish kind of reach for the weight class as well. Like, Oh, and not quite John Jones reach, but he's got a 78 inch reach advantage. Um, so it's going to be an advantage over most opponents. Although here, um, Orlovsky is no small guy himself. So I believe it's only a pu- one pure inch reach over Orlovsky. But that said, man, this is going to be a great fight because I think Rosa Struck is the type of fighter that can kind of bring out those chin issues back with Orlovsky. I mean, Orlovsky's look great. There's no question about it. I mean, his left wins, even that when he's coming off of recently against a Rothwell, I mean, that was definitely, a solid win because Rothwell was basically close to a title shot not too long ago. I know he's not, again, he's a decline fighter in his own right, but still, um, Arlovsky's been able to get these guys that the UFC's throwing in there against him uh, at gatekeeper. That's what they're using him for. I mean, that's the role he kind of fits best. So it's not like the UFC's, you know, put him in those spots. It, it is what it is. I mean, if you beat Andre Arlovsky, you're definitely on the upper echelon in the heavyweight division because Arlovsky still obviously has enough left in the tank to to make it interesting. I mean, even in his losses, he's had close decisions as well. So he's not an easy guy to beat. I'm spitting all this out, and I think 
he still gets knocked out in this fight, to be honest with you. I think, again, the, the chin issues are not going to uh, hide themselves in this fight. Rosenstruck is one of those guys that has that kind of freakish knockout power that it doesn't take much when he lands, and he's pretty accurate, and he knows what he's capable of here. So I think, that, again, Orlovsky's not going to be able to withstand the power of Rosenstruck. I think this is going to be interesting at first because, again, Orlovsky's a savvy vet. He knows um, what to expect here. He knows the kind of power um, and the threat that Rosenstruck pr- really presents here, and he's faced a, a lot of hard you know, fights in his past, obviously, and he's used to everything. There's nothing new that Rosenstruck's going to bring to this fight that he hasn't seen before. But with that said, I think it is going to be a knockout loss for Orlovsky. So I don't see this fight playing out that long. Um, and I, I am going to pick Rosenstruck to win. I think it's just going to be too much uh, for Orlovsky to handle. So the pick is Rosenstruck. He's going to continue his run. And I think this guy's going to make a legit run towards a title shot, honestly. And I'm right with you. Uh, Arlovsky Rosenstruck, this is definitely another uh, changing at the guard type fight, and Arlovsky has won some of these fights in the past, but I feel like Rosenstruck has the, the physical tools to really potentially punish an aging Arlovsky here. Uh, you know, Arlovsky, you know, he's three and eight with a no contest in his last uh, 12 fights, um, and he's been uh, smashed in a few against, uh, you know, some really big heavy hitters. Um, but he did bounce back from a four fight losing streak to, to beat Ben Rothwell in his last fight. But, you know, that's different. You know, Rothwell's a, another, you know, aging veteran that's not exactly the, the most spry and fleet of foot. And Arlovsky was able to do just enough to, to get past him. Um, this time around, Rosenstruik, this guy can be a killer. Now, that being said, I will, say that while Rosenstruck has looked tremendous inside the octagon so far, he has only faced Alan Crowder and Junior Albini for the most part. So, you know, those were some lower tier UFC heavyweights, but he blasted those guys. I mean, just hammered them, especially Crowder. Nine seconds. Holy moly. Uh, so this guy uh, hasn't faced, you know, a top talent yet, but the people he has faced, he has destroyed. So I feel like uh, in this fight, Arlovsky's going to try to do what he's been doing, which has been effective, uh, you know, just technical striking, keeping his distance, working his uh, range. But Rosenstruck actually does have a little bit of reach on him. So I think at distance, Rosenstruck can still crack those huge, heavy shots. Um, and... Just with the way that Arlovsky fights, it's been, you know, very gun shy. I think Rosenstruik can just get in there and land. And I think he can do some serious damage. So, um, I think this fight will be fun. I think Rosenstruik is going to force Arlovsky to engage because of his aggression. Um, and realistically, the only way I see Arlovsky winning is if Rosenstruik is just wild and out of control and gives up easy takedowns. Now, Arlovsky isn't a tremendous takedown artist, but he he can get the fight to the floor when he needs to. And if there's a prime opportunity to shoot in and, and put Rosenstruck on his back, he can absolutely do that. So that could happen. But I think before that happens, Rosenstruck finds Arlovsky's chin. I think he cracks him good. And I think uh, Rosenstruck finishes Arlovsky at some point, probably the first round. I really do think this guy is immensely talented and could be a contender at some point. Um, and this could be his first big step towards doing that. So Rosenstruck's going to be my pick. I think uh, he finishes Andrei Arlovsky. Now dropping down to the middleweight division, 
we have Brad Tavares, who is 17 and 5, taking on Edmund Shabazian, who is 10 and 0. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Shabazian open minus 245, the comeback on Tavares at plus 175. And right now, what we're seeing over at BetDSI, line dropped significantly right now. It is currently Shabazian minus 161, the comeback on Tavares at plus 135. So, again, the line dropped significantly. Like I said, there's a lot of action coming in on Tavares. Of course it would. I mean, at the opening line compared to where it is now, Tavares definitely had some value at plus 175. This is going to be Shabazian's biggest test to date. I mean, what you're getting here is definitely the hyped prospect, young prospect. He's only 21 years old, and the guy looks legit. I mean, he looks to be the part for sure from what we've seen from Shabazian thus far. Um, he was impressive in his last win over Marshman. Before that, he had another tough fight against a bird, Charles Bird, that was really a solid, dangerous opponent. Um, and even Darren Stewart now proved to be a very solid win for him as well. It was a tough, hard fought. But I think these steps that he's taken have been phenomenal, really, because he's getting battle tested as he goes here. Now, this is the the biggest test and the biggest step yet with Brad Tavares. And is he, if he's able to beat Brad Tavares, obviously, he, then he's going to be a legit contender, I think. And he'll be in the mix. And people are going to take him a lot more serious and, you know, and, and kind of mention his name amongst the, a middleweight title shot, at least. So Shabazian's legit. I mean, from what he's, we've seen so far, he has a well-rounded game. I mean, he's a threat everywhere the fight takes place. Obviously, on the feet, um, he does have knockout power. But on the ground, it's kind of where he, I think, is a little bit more dangerous at times as well. He's able to get the fight to the floor, out wrestle his opponents, and then submit his opponents as well. So this guy is a very complete, dangerous opponent that likes to finish fights, and he's more than capable of doing so. Tavares, on the other hand, is one of these guys that's always overachieving in some in some ways. I mean... If you're looking at the streak that he was on before the Adesanya loss, which now doesn't really even fare that bad. I mean, he at least survived against Adesanya, which is good because I think one of the biggest concerns from Tavares for me throughout his career has been his chin a little bit. Um, he's been a little bit chinny for sure. And, you know, that's kind of caused him um, to have problems in the past. So, but with this recent run before Adesanya, I mean, that chin has been just fine. I mean, he's looked phenomenal really in these fights. He has very good competition overall. Um, solid competition, we should say at least. So I think Tavares is, is definitely, like I said, kind of hitting his groove at the right time, even with the Adesanya loss. Um, uh, he did get picked apart and I mean, it was a legit loss in that fight, but still it should give him a little bit of confidence because now Adesanya is a champion for crying out loud. So I think he's going to come into this fight. He's going to be game. He's going to come in looking to perform and it's going to be a tough test for Shabazian. I am going to lean toward Shabazian though. I do think he probably gets it done. I think he is capable of finishing this fight. I think he's capable of hurting Tavares as the fight plays out a little bit. Um, maybe even getting a quick takedown or two. Not going to be easy though, because Tavares is a hard guy to take down and at least keep down. So I think uh, Tavares is going to be capable of at least maintaining this fight upright. But as it goes, I think Shabazi is going to find success and probably end up hurting Tavares and maybe even finishing this fight. If not, I think Shabazi could edge it out on the cards as well. But make no mistake, for me, I'm not comfortable betting this fight as much because I think it is going to be the toughest test to date for Shabazian. And I think he could pass it, but I want to see him do it first before I'm a true, true believer that he's ready for this level. So the pick is Shabazian for me. Shabazian's passed the test so far, um, you know, taking on some decent fighters in, uh, you know, Stewart and Roberson, but, uh, Tavares is definitely a, a solid hurdle here. This, we're we're going to find how good Shabazian really is because, uh, Brad Tavares is a solid technical striker. Um, he has decent takedown defense. He has a little bit of takedown offense. 
you know, this is a guy that can just fight a measured competent fight and outpoint people. He has quality wins throughout his career. He's had uh, some pretty good strings of successes that have kept him in uh, the top 15 or the fringes of the top 15 throughout most of his middleweight run. Um, Shabazzian, on the other hand, you know, he's definitely on the rise, but um, we're going to see how good his technical striking is because uh, if Tavares forces him to fight at distance, um, you know, he may get outpointed over the course of uh, three rounds. Um, that being said, Shabazzian also has a lot of power. You know, this is a guy that is uh, very, very dangerous. I mean, uh, he can put, he can end this fight at any moment. And one thing that Tavares definitely has going against him is his chin. Uh, you know, he, if he gets hit with something solid, he goes down. It's, it's happened repeatedly. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't even look like he got hit with anything hard and he goes down. So, uh, basically the way I see this fight playing out is I think Tavares will be outpointing Shabazian until Shabazian lands that big shot. And then that's when the tide turns, whether Shabazian is able to get the finish from that, uh, we'll see, but, uh, I can see Tavares winning, you know, the first round, maybe even the second round Shabazian clips him in the third, or maybe Tavares is just doing his thing, gets clipped in the first it's just a matter of if and when Shabazian clips him. And I think that's uh, how this fight plays out. So uh, I'm going to pick Shabazian. I think he does win by stoppage. But uh, it could very well be a fight where Tavares just does his thing over the course of 15 minutes and Shabazian gets frustrated. So don't be uh, – don't feel – Crazy upset if uh, that's what Brad Tavares does because he has a history of doing that to some solid fighters. Um, and uh, sh this is definitely a stiff test for Shabazian. So I think Shabazian can finish it. But if he doesn't, I would not be shocked one bit if Tavares does win a decision. So, But Shabazian will be my pick. Now dropping down to the featherweight division, we have Shane Burgos, who is 12-1, taking on Makwan Amir Khani, who is... 15 and 3. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Burgess open minus 185, the comeback on Americani at plus 145. And right now, looking over at BetDSI, we are seeing Burgos currently coming in at minus 222, the comeback on Americani at plus 181. So Limers have tightened up more action coming in Burgos' way. I'm not really that surprised. I mean, Burgos definitely has advantage advantages in this fight, I should say, because of the way he, he kind of matches up with Americani. But both these guys have have a lot of hype behind them. Both of these guys are really good fighters that are, I mean, working their way up the ladder. I mean, there's no doubt. In, in my opinion, I always was kind of doubting, I guess, Americani, especially before he came into the UFC, before his debut. I wasn't that fond of, of what he did before in the past, like watching the footage and seeing him perform. I didn't think he was ready for the UFC, to be honest with you. And then he came out of the gates and rolled off all the wins that he did and looked impressive fight by fight that I wasn't, I mean, I was wrong. Honestly, he was better than I thought. And it's, it's really the hard work that he's put in and got himself to the point where, you know, the hard work in between fights. I know he, he's not the most active fighter at times, but he's definitely hitting the gym and he's getting better. So I like that about Amir Khan. He's definitely a threat um, at this weight class. There's no doubt about it. And he's only going to continue to get better. So a lot to like about Amir Khan, but Burgos stylistically is a tough matchup for him because, I mean, Amir Khan's best attribute is obviously his ground, his wrestling, getting the fight to the full. And he's going to need to do that against Burgos because Burgos is the better striker here in this spot. Now, Burgos isn't a fish out of water on the ground either. He does have wrestling 
wrestling background. He's capable of getting the fights to the floor, and he does have a submission game as well. So Burgos is going to be more than game anywhere this fight takes place, but it is the stand-up game that is in his favor for sure. And Americani is going to be dangerous, I mean, because he's unorthodox. He's a little bit wild at times, so Burgos holds his hands low. He's a little bit open at times for the kill, too, so he's got to be careful about that, but that said, it still should be to his advantage to keep this fight upright. He should be able to pick Americani apart and win. And that's why people are betting him in this spot as well. So I think that's probably the way it plays out. Burgess should be able to control this fight, the tempo, outstrike Americani, maybe even finish him along the way. Um, if not, like I said, he probably edges out the scorecards and outstrikes him anyway. Um, so I do lean that way, but man, I think Americani is going to probably step up here and perform better than we all anticipate a little bit. And, and he's going to be game. So be careful if you're betting this fight out there. But for me, my pick is Burgos. I think you guys are all on the right track. If you came in on that early number. Yeah. Americani, while extremely dangerous, he is not a very good striker. So whatever this fight is standing, I think Shane Burgos is going to be not just winning, but dominating this fight. Um, what makes it interesting is, will Amir Khan be able to get it to the floor? Because the ground game is definitely his strength. He has strong wrestling, um, excellent top uh, position, and he can just drop some bombs and potentially go for some submissions. Uh, that being said, you look at Shane Burgos' stats. Now, he hasn't faced a lot of really great wrestlers yet, but... 94% takedown defense, 100% takedown offense. You know, this is a guy that, you know, he has a strong ability to, to stop takedowns. So, uh, so Burgos, you know, he gets a little cocky in there and at times he'll drop his hands. And I think, uh, you know, at, that can get him in trouble against some really dangerous strikers and it has got him in trouble, but against Jamir Khani, I think dropping his hands is actually fine because it'll actually set up a, an easier sprawl for when uh, Amir Khani shoots from a distance. So uh, Burgos can leave his hands down and just keep picking apart Amir Khani on the feet, and that'll actually help him keep the fight upright. So as long as this fight stays upright, I think Burgos completely dominates it. But if Amir Khani is able to get Burgos on his back, the tide of this fight could turn in an instant. Um, but I just think that Burgos will be able to stifle the take for the most part. And if Amir Khani does get a takedown, I think Burgos could get back to his feet because he does have a pretty decent, uh, ground base. Uh, so I think, uh, Burgos' takedown defense will be the key here. And I think that will allow him to get the win. So Burgos is going to be my pick. I think uh, he gets the job done on the feet. Now, moving on to the preliminary card headliner in the light heavyweight division. We have Corey Anderson, who is 12 and 4, taking on Johnny Walker, who is 17 and 3. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Walker opened minus 195, they come back on Anderson at plus 155. And right now, what we're seeing over at BetDSI is currently Walker coming in at minus 159, they come back on Anderson at plus 132. So, Mark just have tightened up a little bit, more action coming in Anderson's way. Not really surprised at all. I mean, of course it's going to come in Anderson's way. I mean, you can make a rightful case. I said this on UFC on the line as well, so check out the episode to get a little bit more in detail. But you can make a case for Corey Anderson being the favorite here. I know there's a lot of hype at Johnny Walker, and rightfully so. I mean, the guys look like an absolute beast thus far. And if you look closer at the, at his finishes and the way he's gone about it, it's not like flukish, like the guy's just kind of getting lucky and just throwing wild, crazy techniques. I mean, it is wild to it uh, to a certain extent, I should say, but 
it's pretty clean. It's pretty accurate. It's it's uh, part of his game. It's who he is. So the guy is a devastating striker offensively. The question about that, I think he's, I mean, got that kind of power that upon impact with his techniques when he's throwing a kick, punch, whatever. I mean, you definitely feel it and opponents crumble. So he's definitely dangerous. But I just think he's a little bit overhyped at this point. I think there's some flaws to his game as well. I mean, if you look back further at some of his fights before the UFC, you'll see some of those flaws. I mean, he's hittable. He's been hurt in fights as well. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of mistakes that he makes throughout the fight as well. But I mean, again, he's at a different point of his life right now where he is confident. I mean, winning like he has in the UFC thus far, it's going to definitely make his mental state a lot better. So he believes in himself right now, and that's dangerous as well. So there's a lot to like about Johnny Walker, no question about it. But I'm just not totally sold completely on him yet. And then if you look at the other side of it, though, with Corey Anderson, I've never been a huge Corey Anderson fan as far as like his skill set goes because, you know, I mean, he's a wrestler. We've seen great wrestlers at the UFC. You know, they have success, of course. But what's grown on me is is his work ethic and his ability to get better. I mean, Corey Anderson's hands are definitely good. His wrestling has got to the point where he out-wrestles solid you know, guys in the, in the octagon this far. I mean, if you look at his last few fights, it's more than impressive uh, against solid competition. I mean, out wrestling Patrick Cummings for one thing is, is pretty, you know, outrageous in a way because Cummings was, I mean, at point, at least up until that point was one of the better wrestlers in the UFC for sure. So that's pretty good how he was able to manhandle Cummings. So that shows you a lot there. And then his wins over Tashera and Latifi were pretty solid as well. So he's on a, a real roll here and he's legit as well. His confidence is at an all time high. And I think it's his game plan, it's his coaching that he has right now as well. Everything's just kind of coming together for Corey Anderson. And I, I tell you what, you got to respect his boxing, um, the pace that he pushes forward as well. Now, in this fight, of course, I mean, I think I'm expecting Johnny Walker to come out ultra-aggressive and wild. So Corey Anderson's going to have to really weather that early storm and be smart about you know, how he approaches the first couple minutes of this fight for sure. But if he can weather the storm, he's going to win this fight, I think. So, you know, it is a risk for sure because Anderson is one of those fighters that could be winning the fight and then out of nowhere get clipped and gets knocked out. His chin is definitely the biggest concern. And when you're facing a devastating striker and a dangerous opponent like Johnny Walker, that's not a good thing. So there's definitely a concern when it comes to Corey Anderson losing this fight by knockout. But I can't deny that he's a better fighter. I can't deny that he should be able to get the takedowns here if he can weather that early storm. And once on the ground, I think he has his way with Walker as well. So we'll see how legit Walker is here. I mean, you know, I think this is another good test. This is a good step up in class. I like the matchmaking here as well. So I like everything about it. I think the value is a little bit more so on Anderson, even though I'm kind of afraid that he gets out there and gets, you know, his clock cleaned early on in this fight. But I still can't deny it. So I'm going to pick Anderson to win this fight. And hopefully his chin holds up. Johnny Walker is definitely one of the most exciting fighters on the roster. I mean, he's faced three quality opponents and dispatched all of them in three minutes. Um, I mean, it's amazing what this guy's been able to do. And, and he's been able to do it with something different each time. Uh, a spinning back fist, a, a knee, and then, uh, you know, an elbow. I mean, he is just absolutely vicious. And it is incredibly entertaining to watch this guy compete. Um, that being said... So far, his biggest uh, enemy has been himself, you know, hurting himself in his post-fight celebration, injuring his shoulder. Uh, that kept him out for a while. Uh, so this is his first fight since the shoulder injury. And clearly, if uh, he could win this fight in 10 seconds, I'm not uh, saying that that can't happen because that's just the type of fighter Johnny Walker is. Uh, he is extremely dangerous with every limb at any moment. Uh, but that being said... 
Um, there is a, there are a lot of things we don't know about him with how he would perform against uh, fighters, whether in a fight that gets dragged out a little bit, how he would perform in a fight that uh, gets taken to the ground, how, how he performs off of his back, how good that takedown defense is. We just have not seen it yet. And I think this is a great test for him because Corey Anderson is going to present those challenges. Uh, Anderson's not the type of fighter that's going to be looking for a quick finish. So Anderson's going to be, you know, a little more patient and calm and uh, trying to, uh, you know, feel this fighter out a little bit more. So Walker, I think, is going to have a little bit more difficulty trying to just steamroll this guy because I don't think Anderson's going to play his game. Um, and then Anderson does have some of the best wrestling, if not the best wrestling, in the UFC light heavyweight division. So uh, at some point, Anderson is going to shoot. And if Walker does not time a knee or some elbows to the side of the head as he's getting taken down, um, we could definitely see Corey Anderson get into the top position and just start blasting him. Um, so that's really the way the fight is going to play out, is it's either going to be a Johnny Walker early uh, smashing or... I think Corey Anderson uh, takes him down repeatedly and destroys him from top position. So uh, you know, both guys are extremely talented. We know that Anderson is a bit chinny. He's been stopped uh, by strikes repeatedly. So the, the, the chance that Johnny Walker connects on his chin and takes him out, you know, those are absolutely relevant and it could happen at any moment. And I'm terrified of that because I am going to pick Corey Anderson. I think that he does get the takedowns. I think he exposes Johnny Walker's lack of ground game and, and lack of takedown defense. Uh, but if Walker fights this smart and times, uh, you know, a good strike as Anderson's on his way in, you saw what happened when Ben Askren fought Jorge Masvidal. You know, it could end in five seconds or less. So I'm going to be crossing my fingers that that does not happen. And I think that Corey Anderson does get the takedowns and does win the fight. So Anderson is going to be my pick. Now, moving on to the pay-per-view main card in the lightweight division, we have Kevin Lee, who is 17-5, taking on Gregor Gillespie, who is 13-0. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Gillespie up at minus 130, the comeback on Lee at minus 110, and right now what we're seeing over at BetDSI is Gillespie minus 152, the comeback on Lee at plus 127, so line margins have tightened up a little bit more action coming in Gillespie's way. Not surprised, man. That's the intriguing way for me as well. I mean, there's no question about it. This is another test. We're talking about veterans getting, um, or we should see up and coming guys. I mean, getting tested by some of these veterans that we're, we're seeing on these matchups. And this is another one here with Kevin Lee being the established fighter, the title contender, the guy that, um, I mean, it was so close to wearing that strap at lightweight. I mean, I know he moved up to Wells Wade, didn't have success. He's coming back down here. Training with GSP, we should mention that off the rip as well. He's taking things a little bit more serious. That's des definitely not going to hurt his stock right now. I mean, I think he needed kind of a change in atmosphere environment. So I think training at uh, TriStar with GSP and crew, definitely a good move by him um, because he has to address some issues. And part of those issues are his, you know, conditioning needs to be a little bit more steady. He needs to be capable of kind of going, you know, full steam ahead for all three rounds, at least if it's a three round fight. Um, but Kevin Lee has been used to obviously going in longer fights because he's been main, main eventing as well. So a lot of advantages for Kevin Lee in this fight, including reach. I mean, his size a little bit over Gillespie, but overall, though, I think Gillespie, man, his rise has been legit. I like the way the UFC's kind of matched him up and brought him along slowly. They're not rushing him, and this is a, a step up in competition, but he's ready for it, meaning that he's been brought up the right way where it's, he's kind of hasn't 
you know, overstep his boundaries, sort of say. So I think Gillespie's ready, even though he's going to have some disadvantage in this fight. I think he is the more explosive fighter on the feet as far as his boxing goes. I think he can present some problems for Lee. Now, I, I'm not thrilled with Gillespie's defense, though, on the feet. I mean, he kind of needs to get his head off the line a little bit more and work defensively more there. But his hands are definitely a threat offensively. But it's more his wrestling, his relentless style. I know Kevin Lee's a wrestler as well, so that you would think that neutralizes each other out a little bit. But I think pedigree-wise and what we should see in the cage play out is Gillespie kind of having the advantage there as well. So I do lean towards Gillespie. It's hard for me to bet this fight, though, because it's another one of those spots where I need to see him get tested. And Kevin Lee is definitely a great test for him. And I think he passes the test, but it's hard to bet him where the current line is right now for me, honestly. So I'm staying away from it. But I do think Gillespie uh, gets the W here, what should be obviously the toughest and best win of his career. Yeah, and for me, this fight boils down to wrestling. Both guys are tremendously talented wrestlers. Uh, but for me, Kevin Lee's wrestling is a little bit more based on athleticism. And I think Gillespie's is based a little bit more on technique and power. And I think, uh, at some point in this fight, this fight's going to go to the ground and it's going to be Gregor Gillespie on top position. And, uh, Kevin Lee, he really does not see himself on his back pretty much ever. And I think he's going to panic when that happens. Uh, so. Yeah, that's just not a position that he's very comfortable with. Um, on the feet, Lee does have a little bit of a size and reach. Um, and his technique is improving in his stand-up. Um, you know, he really hasn't been easily winning fights, but he's, he's definitely been a lot more competitive in fights against decent strikers in recent, uh, so I will give Lee some credit for the improvements he's made on the feet. I think he could potentially outpoint Gillespie in a pure stand-up fight, but that's not how Gillespie fights. Uh, Gillespie is more of that just get in your face, throw big heavy bombs, try to hurt you on the feet, and then uh, if that doesn't work, shoot in and just blast you to the canvas with a power double. Um, you know, he is just uh, a, a basically a wrecking ball on the feet. Now, at some point that's going to be challenged because he's going to face somebody with really good takedown defense that can uh, catch him on the way in, but that's just not Kevin Lee's game yet. He has not added so much to his striking that he's going to just hurt Gillespie standing. I, I don't think, uh, you know, Lee really doesn't have a lot of stand up punching power. He, his power is more when he had opponent in a position where he can really pull back like from top position, maybe, and rain down some blows on the ground. Uh, but on the feet, Lee really isn't that much of a threat. So I think Gillespie is just going to ignore some of Lee's improvements in his striking and just get inside anyway and just start uh, throwing bombs. Um, and I can see Gillespie hanging with Lee on the feet, if not getting the better of it because of that. And then when the fight goes to the floor, I think Gillespie uh, gets that top position. Um, now, Lee do is long and he can be tricky on the ground. He's very good at uh, trying to, to get to your back and, and go for that choke. So Gillespie, if he makes a big mistake, uh, he could get choked out here. I'm not saying that's not out of the realm of possibilities, but I feel like Gillespie's going to be just so aggressive and strong and uh, vicious that I just think he overwhelms Lee. So even though Lee's coming back to the lightweight division after the failed uh, run at 170, um, and and Lee has been competitive against some of the best fighters in the world, I think this is a I think this is a bad matchup uh, because. In terms of wrestling, 
uh, Lee is not as good of a wrestler as Gregor Gillespie. So I think uh, Gillespie wins this fight uh, with top position, and I, uh, he might even finish Lee as it uh, gets into the later rounds. So Gregor Gillespie is going to be my pick. Now moving up to the heavyweight division, we have Derek Lewis, who is 21 and 7, taking on Blagoy Ivanov, who is 18 and 2. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Lewis opened minus 170, the comeback in Ivanov at plus 130. And right now, looking over at BetDSI, we're seeing Ivanov at minus 111, the comeback on Lewis at minus 109. So line markers have tightened up, and needless to say, more action coming in on Ivanov. And you know what? I'm, I mean, I'm not surprised. I think he is the better fighter overall. I mean, I've honestly have been riding his train a little bit since the UFC because he's been underrated and you're able to get some good prices um, on him at times as well. So he's been cashing along the way. Of course, he's, you know, he's had some ups and downs. He hasn't looked that great overall in his career thus far, but he's had some tough fights for crying out loud as well. And of course, Lewis on the other side of it though. I mean, we're all used to seeing what he does best and how he performs and what he's capable of doing. So I think a lot of people automatically respect him. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Despite, you know, coming off a couple losses, you know, he's legit, but I think people are starting to find out what Ivanov is about kind of with his last couple. So I think he's kind of showing up and he's proving to be a legit contender in the heavyweight division, to be honest with you. I mean, I know that, you know, he got appointed there by Junior Dos Santos on the feet pretty clearly. Dos Santos was able to keep his space and use that distance and outpoint him. But outside of that, a lot of people aren't going to be able to kind of utilize him plan with Ivanov. He pushes such a high pace, gets inside. He has bricks for hands, so he hits really hard. And then, of course, on the ground is, is where he's kind of underrated as well. He does have some underrated wrestling, and he does have some submission skills going along with it, so with that Sambo background. So Ivanov is a very talented, complete heavyweight fighter that's dangerous in all aspects. So I don't blame people for coming in uh, that way against Lewis. But Lewis is tough. I mean, he's not the easiest guy to fight. Obviously, you got to respect his power. I mean, probably not to the point where Ngannou did in their fight where they stare at each other uh, forever. We don't see that kind of fight, honestly. Uh, but you do have to give the guy a little bit of respect because he might not be the, the type of fighter that's going to come out and just blow you away with his stand-up. But, man, when he hits you, he hits hard, and he is fairly accurate at times as well. So Lewis has that kind of knockout power that you have to be cautious and you have to respect it. Then, of course, Lewis's strength to me is when he gets on top of you on the ground. I mean, if he gets on top of you, you're in some serious trouble. The bombs that he hits you with wow yeah i mean so that is not where ivanov wants to be in this spot he wants to get top position if he can get lewis down or again kind of utilize his stand-up because he is the better fighter um better striker on the feet as well but he just has to be cautious with that big knockout power so for me it's hard to bet this fight honestly because i gotta respect lewis is just so such a hard fighter to go against so i can understand why people are going to back lewis in this spot as well especially as he turns into dog um but at the same time, I think Ivanov is probably the right side. He is the better fighter, so I'm going to lean his way. It's just a difficult one for me to bet, though, overall. So the pick is Ivanov, and I think he does get it done. And I'm going to go for Ivanov as well. Uh, I've just been really impressed with uh, the way he's been performing. Um, he's, he's stepped up and uh, defeated some guys that I wasn't quite sure he'd be able to beat. Uh, he showcased some solid overall technical striking. Now, when he faces somebody that has a really good reach or somebody with some, you know, exceptional technique on the feet, then I can be worried. But uh, in this case, you know, Derek Lewis, you know, really what Lewis offers is a ton of power and devastating ground and pound. But he does not offer a technique with that power on the feet. So basically he has to rely on, you know, his defender 
uh, not protecting their chin at a key moment on the feet, or he has to rely on, um, you know, his opponent making a mistake and getting put on their back. And because Lewis does not really have that good offensive wrestling either. But when he is in top position, I mean, he is absolutely devastating uh, with the ground and pound. So if Lewis gets top position against Ivanov, he could win. If Lewis cracks him with just some monster haymaker, he could win. But uh, up until that, Ivanov is going to be winning this fight. I mean, Ivanov is clearly the superior boxer. Um, I think he'll just be outpointing Lewis over the course of three rounds. And uh, Ivanov, you know, he does have that combat Sambo background, so I don't think it's going to be easy for Lewis to get him to on his back either. I mean, if you remember, uh, Ivanov was actually the first man to ever defeat Fedor Emelianenko in combat Sambo. So, you know, this guy is a very talented grappler as well. So I do not see Lewis easily being able to, to put him on his back. Um, so even though uh, Ivanov is going to be giving up some reach, uh, some height, um, I just think the technique is going to make up for it. Uh, Lewis is obviously going to have the threat of the knockout or, uh, you know, at some point because of the power and the size. But uh, Ivanov is just clearly the superior striker. And, and I think over the course of uh, 15 minutes, you know, he, he throws at a higher pace. Um, his defense is better. Uh, Lewis, you know, has always had issues defending the body. I think Ivanov mixes it up to the head and body and, you know, he could potentially finish Lewis if you land enough good strikes to the body that, you know, you can just fold him in half. So, uh, we've seen Lewis, you know, really struggle in, in some of those moments. So I think, uh, as long as Ivanov avoids that big haymaker, uh, he's going to be in good shape. I think he wins a decision here. So, uh, Ivanov is going to be my pick. Now, dropping down to the welterweight division, we have Steven Thompson, who is 14-4-1, taking on Vicente Luque, who is 17-6-1. Now, Nick, what's the MMA odds perspective on this one? Thompson opened minus 135, the comeback to Luque minus 105. And right now, what we're seeing over at BetDSI is currently... Luque minus 112, Thompson minus 106, and it recently flipped a little bit ago. So we are seeing more action coming down on Luque from the opener. I mean, Thompson did get that back up a little bit, so there is two-way action. It's not misleading to say that because, I mean, there has been action back and forth on this fight for sure, and it will continue to be so, so do so as well. So I think Thompson probably will flip back as a favorite because you're going to have a lot of people – realizing what you get with Thompson and he's one of the best strikers I've ever seen in the sport, you know, even outside of the UFC cage, outside of the UFC octagon. I mean, the guy's one of the best elite kickboxers, sport karateers. I mean, everything it comes to stand up combat sports. I mean, Steven Thompson's elite. He's one of the best of the best all time for sure. One of the great. So you know what you're getting in him and what he's performed in the cage along the way with that background that he has is impressive as well, because a lot of people just can't, and come into the UFC with a striking background and make it work for them to the point where he was almost a title, I mean, a title holder, to be honest with you, like a legit UFC champion. I mean, a full-blown champ, not just fighting for the title, not interim titles. I'm talking about, I mean, his or his losses, I should say, over Woodley were that close that they could have easily went his way as well. 
So to get to that top of the sport like he did and to be in the title mix as often as he is, and he still, I mean, a, a win over Luke continues to keep him in the mix as well. It's impressive because you don't see strikers doing that. So like I said, I mean, outside of the Machitas in this world, you definitely have to be elite to get to that point. And Thompson is definitely that. But on the other hand, Luke is a devastating striker in his own right. I mean, he's been nothing but amazing to watch since his Ultimate Fighter um, show debut, really. I know he wasn't... um able to officially win that show, but he ended up uh, doing some good things, of course, and and making a name for himself and starting to prove uh, that he belongs on the roster with his wins ever since. And and he shows his improvement. Again, he's another one of these guys that has put training in and has just improved fight by fight to the point where, I mean, he's a stud. He's a finisher. He's one of the best finishers in the welterweight division in the history of the welterweight division as well. So the guy has accuracy. Uh, He's got the ability to knock people out on the feet. If you get to the ground with him, he's going to grab your neck and choke you out as well. So Luke is just a stud. And this is what the intriguing factor is about this fight, because obviously Thompson is definitely the better striker. I mean, if you're going to stand toe to toe with Luke, I mean, Thompson can probably keep his distance a little bit, land that lead leg sidekick and just kind of control everything and work everything off of, uh, off of what he does basically with that kind of style that he has. But Luke is smart enough. And I think Luke is aggressive enough that he's going to be able to close that gap get inside on Thompson, and then he's going to release those hands. And once he he hits, man, I mean, he lands. He lands hard. And I think he's going to be able to be effective enough to, to hurt Thompson on the feet as well. So even if Luke is losing this fight, I think it's only going to take a few shots along the way to really hurt Thompson and and make him pay for it, really. So I think that even on the ground, Luke is going to have a trouble, obviously, a tough time getting Thompson to the ground because Thompson has such a good takedown defense. But it's not out of the question that maybe he rocks him real quick gets him to the ground and then hops on a submission or something like that as well. So I think Luke finishes this fight and I think he has a couple different paths to victory to do so. And and then if it hits the scorecards, obviously you got to edge out Thompson in that regard, because I think Thompson will probably do enough to outpoint Luke, but I think it still will be competitive on the cards as well. So for me, I just basically think that Luke is getting Thompson in the right time. Um, Thompson from that devastating knockout loss that he had to Pettis. I'm not sure exactly how healed his, as I said, again, on UFC on the line, um, he was supposed to, well, they were hoping that he was going to headline the Greenville card back of, you know, a few months back. And uh, he wasn't able to, because he wasn't cleared because he had such a bad concussion. So with that said, I know that he's had enough time coming out, but I, I mean, facing a devastating finisher like Luke, your first fight back from a, a, you know, a nasty concussion like that. I don't think it's a good sign. So all, Everything to me is pointing at Luke, the right time, getting Thompson here and finishing the job here as well. So I think Luke wins and he probably does it inside the distance. So the pick is Luke. I understand why the action is coming that way. I think it's right. And this is another situation uh, that we've have on this uh, fight card where the more technical fighter has the worst in and is facing a more powerful striker. Um, and it's going to be another game of cat and mouse of will Steven Thompson be able to outpoint Luke over the course of three rounds without getting blasted. Um, and, uh, Luke is an exceptionally dangerous fighter. I mean, this guy has devastating knockout power, excellent submissions, a very well-rounded fighter. Uh, he's somebody that I've been high on for a very long time. He's had a lot of success in the UFC so far. Uh, that being said, uh, Steven Thompson is one of the best strikers if not the best striker in the welterweight division. I mean, this guy has tremendous use of range. Um, he is able to get in and out and land those kicks and punches and do some serious damage uh, without getting touched. Um, you saw what was happening in his last fight. I mean, he was literally embarrassing 
uh, Anthony Pettis uh, in that fight, just completely destroying him. And then boom, Superman punched to the chin and Thompson was out cold. It was insane. One of the craziest comebacks because, I mean, he was absolutely blistering Anthony Pettis. Um, so uh, that could happen here. Absolutely. Uh, because Stephen Thompson is the better striker than Luke A. And, but he does have uh, a worse chin. Absolutely. He has a worse chin. Uh, Thompson has been rocked repeatedly. You know, he's been hurt by Darren Till, by Woodley. He's been knocked out by Pettis. He was hurt by Ellenberger. So Luke A. can absolutely hurt him. Okay. He has just as much power as any of those guys, I think. So, uh, if he clips Thompson, he can take him out. It definitely could happen. Thompson's getting older. The reflexes are starting to get a little bit worse. The chin is getting worse. So, uh, there's definitely a possibility that Luke clips him, but, uh, I don't see Luke's ground game be- being a factor here because I don't think his wrestling's good enough to put Thompson on his back unless he hurts Thompson, like Nick said. And, uh, again, Thompson is just such an elite striker. I think that, uh, Thompson can keep Luke at distance. Uh, Luke has had a tremendous run so far in the UFC, but every time he's faced like a top 15 fighter, you know, he really has, has struggled. Uh, you know, split decision against Perry, who's not even a top 15 fighter. Uh, although he did earn that, that decision win. Um, but he lost to Leon Edwards, a clear decision. So, I think what happens here is Thompson keeps him at the end of his range and outpoints him over the course of 15 minutes, and he does avoid that big knockout blow. Um, so uh, that being said, Luke could finish this fight at any moment, but you know Thompson is still an elite fighter in my opinion. I think, uh, and this is his first fight after the Pettis loss. I'm I'm interested to see how he performs after getting knocked out for the first time, um, if he's more tentative or not. Uh, because that could make it actually easier for for Luke to be aggressive. Uh, but if Thompson is fighting like he was against Pettis, I think that that's actually good for him. Because, I mean, he was just destroying Pettis. And as long as he avoids that big knockout blow, I think uh, Thompson does get the job done here and win the decision. So Thompson is going to be my pick. I think he, he avoids it and walks away with the decision. Potentially could finish Luke along the way if he... Hits him with something that he doesn't see coming. Now, moving on to the co-main event of the evening in the middleweight division, we have Kelvin Gastelum, who is 16 and 4, taking on Darren Till, who is 17, 2 and 1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Gaslam open minus 155 to come back until plus 115. Right now, looking over at Bet DSI, we are seeing Gaslam minus 256 to come back until plus 206. Six, so that's not wrong. That's correct. Gas them all the way up to minus two fifty six. Come back until plus two oh six. And uh, a couple of days ago, now of course the lines got steamed up to that spot as well. A lot of controversy surrounding like, before it even happened, meaning the the visa issues that Till had. Thankfully, the fight's still on, and you know he's showing up, and everything should be a go. But I think that, that had an impact on the betting line as well, and that's why you're seeing some steam take the line from about a buck seventy-five that it was sitting at for a few days there, for the most part, to um, where you're seeing it now. Because I mean, he still had to travel over here. You know, he's running up against it as far as he still has to do the weight cut, even though it's 185 pounds. There's just a lot to get in with a lot of question marks behind Till even making it here. Like I said, I, I so far everything's supposed to go as planned. And, um, it seems like he's going to be okay for the fight, but I, I don't know. This is just the bad spot for Till. I, I'm, 
again, I'm glad he stepped up to the table because this is an intriguing fight, but this is a dangerous fight for him as well. And I think realistically, it's a tough matchup. That's why everybody's kind of betting Gaslam as well. I'm surprised. I'm kind of disappointed people are because I know Till has a lot of respect uh, for the most part, and people love betting him, and I'm sure they're going to bet him here in this spot as well as an underdog, especially as the fight uh, keeps on climbing like this. I mean, there's no question. It's getting to the point where Till definitely has some you creeping up here. At, uh, you know, anything around plus 200, plus 206, plus 210, you got to start looking at Till for sure, even if I'm liking Gaslam, the Gaslam side for sure. So it's all about line value here, and I think as the line steams up, I mean, Till's going to have some size, even you know, though he's moving up to uh, welterweight from welterweight to say two middle weight. He's going to be the bigger fighter here. He, offensively, the guy is a very skilled striker. He's got knockout power to boot. Gaslam has been hit. He's been rocked in fights before. He does have a pretty tough chin, but I mean, Till has the power and he's got the technique to make this interesting for sure on the feet. But with that said, I think I trust more so the fact that Gaslam is the more durable fighter of the two from what we've seen both at welterweight and middleweight for him. And also, I mean, he's been undersized in almost obviously all of his fights at the, in the middleweight division as well. And he's performed above and beyond expectations in most cases. He's going to have some confidence despite the loss to Adesanya because he performed so well in that fight as well. A lot of good things going for Gaslam right now. He's going to have to, you know, prove himself that he's back in the title mix as well. So there's a lot of importance for this fight. He, he deserves it. He uh, thinks that he can get it done here and get himself right back in the mix. And I think he can as well because I think he's got that explosive knockout power, obviously, on the feet that he can get inside the distance um, that Till needs, you know, to have success against Gaslam. I think he can kind of close that gap, get inside, rock him, uh, put him to the floor possibly. Once he gets to the floor, I think Gaslam has a huge edge on the ground as well. He's got the submission game and he's got the ground to pound and he can make life miserable for Till. So I do like Gaslam. I think he does win this fight. Um, you know, I'm just disappointed again where the line keeps on creeping up to the point where it's getting close to three to one. That's ridiculous. Uh, but I do think Gaslam wins this fight. So for me personally, since I can't bet Gaslam where the line is right now because it's more appropriately set um, than the opener was, I would look at maybe some props for Gaslam. Gaslam inside the distance, Gaslam by knockout, that sort of thing for me because I do think he wins this fight. So the pick him, and I think he does get it done inside the distance. And I'm right with you. Uh, moving up to middleweight was definitely the right idea for Darren Till, but to move up to middleweight and face a guy who just fought for the belt, I think that's ridiculous. Uh, he definitely should have... Uh, Ask for somebody a little bit lower down in the food chain to take on in his first middleweight fight because uh, Till's issues have been when he faced exceptional strikers, uh, you know, they're just able to counter him and uh, crack him on the chin and take him out. Um, you know, uh, Woodley was able to, to clock him and then choke him out. You saw uh, Masvidal able to get inside and blast him. I thought personally that uh, Stephen Thompson beat him in there. Uh, fight. So uh, for for Till to go in here and take on Gastelum, who just faced a long, lanky striker and held his own in one of the greatest fights of 2018, uh, or in one of the greatest fights, I think, I think it was this year, actually, but held his own in that fight uh, and actually hurt Adesanya, the only person that's really been competitive against Adesanya. Um, I think this is a huge mistake. Um Till is not the most uh, exceptionally fast striker, so um, I don't think that the speed will really transition moving up from welterweight, so Gastelum's going to be still the quicker, more explosive striker. Uh, Gastelum has just as much one-punch power, if not more. I think Gastelum will be able to, to get inside uh, Till's range and crack him. 
So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm really concerned about Till here. I think, uh, you know, and Till has taken some damage now and, uh, could be, uh, finished potentially easily if Gastelum, uh, lands that big shot. So in this fight, uh, realistically, Till is not the type of guy that sits back and uses his distance. He likes to get in your, in the fray and, and throw big, big bombs. So if he does that, I think Gastelum steps in and then just hammers him, uh, with some, with something nasty. So I think this is a, a really poor decision for, for Till to, to take this tough of a fight in his first move up to, to middleweight because not only do I think he loses, I think he gets knocked out relatively quickly. Um, you know, Gastelum is just an absolute powerhouse. He looked really good in that Adesanya fight. Uh, he had some great moments, and I think that he's going to be able to get inside and crack Till right on the jaw. I mean, Gastelum pushes a higher pace than Till. Gastelum has slightly better defense than Till. Um, Gastelum, if he wants to, can take this fight to the floor because he has, uh, you know, some solid wrestling base as well. So there's just not a lot that I really like about Till here. I mean, the only thing I like about Till is the fact that the line has climbed up to ridiculous levels. Uh, because I do favor Gastelum to win at a little bit more than a two to one clip, but now it's like up into the two seventies, approaching three to one. There's actually value on Till, but again, in terms of the actual matchup, I just don't think this is a good matchup for Till at all. Uh, because, you know, having the size and reach advantage only matters if you use your size and reach, and Till really doesn't do that. So I think, uh, it's only a matter of time, matter of time before, uh, Gastelum steps inside and blasts Till. Now, Gastelum is a little bit chinny as well. Now he's not, you know, just terrible chin, but he has been hurt. Uh, it happened against Weidman. It's happened against, I think, Rick Story in the past. He got rocked by Adesanya and almost finished. So Till does have power. He could crack Gastelum and make me look really stupid here. But, uh, I think, uh, there's just too many advantages for Gastelum. And then, like I said, it's only a matter of time before he catches Till on the chin and puts him out. So I think Gastelum by knockout is uh, a decent prop to, to look for if uh, you like Gastelum to win at all. So Gastelum's going to be my pick. Now, moving on to the main event of the evening in the welterweight division, we have Jorge Masvidal, who is 34 and 13, taking on Nate Diaz, who is 20 and 11. And this is for the BMF title. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmakers perspective on this one? Masvidal minus 110, Diaz 110. That was the opening line officially. They hit offshore at first. And right away, it got steamed up a little bit towards Masvidal, and it was hovering around minus 150, 160. Got bet up to around minus 200 or so, um, and now it's kind of come back down as well. So it got bet up about maybe 230-ish or so. And uh, sharp action came back in on Diaz, and it dropped the line back down. So there's been two-way action on this fight, a lot of sharp action coming in back and forth. I mean, as, a, as the line drops, you're seeing sharp action hit Masvidal. As the line increases, you're seeing sharp action hit Diaz. So a lot of spinnings out there. And this is just an awesome fight. So I understand it um i can respect it and i'm looking forward to it really because you do i mean for bmf the bmf belt man this you can't get two better guys to, that represent that than these two these guys are real fighters man i mean it, this is what you get from both of them I mean, these guys would fight for free i mean obviously they're not at that point in their careers that they're, they would ever think about that and money is very important to them and they deserve to get 
paid these days for sure, as long as their careers both been. But I mean, let's not forget back in the day, the backyard fights that uh, the Kimbo Slice backyard brawls that Masvidal was involved in. I mean, just from the pure love of fighting, man. I mean, that's what the guy's made out of. Diaz fighting as a teenager against adults back in the day as well. I mean, just, you know, it's it's amazing. There's footage out there from both these guys. These guys are true fighters, the definition of fighters. They got there and you know what you're getting from them every and each time. I mean, they're durable. Uh, I mean, they're smart. They're killers. I mean, everything they have, and they're well-rounded to boot. And now I think both of them have obviously never been better throughout their careers, which is kind of rare, especially if they're both 34 years old. So they're that point of their careers where you could see a decline kind of hit maybe, but not with these guys, man. They, they're in the gym a lot. They work very hard. And despite having a lot of wear and tear on them from a lot of wars and a lot of great fights throughout their careers, they're both just fine in a way, you know what I mean? They have any fights left in their tank, put it that way. So it's rare, but I think it is the way they take care of themselves. They eat right. They're in the gym a lot, like I said, and they just put the work in and they heal up. They do everything right. So, I mean, they're both on a roll. There's a lot to like inside and outside, you know, about this fight, both of them. So there's a lot of respect across the board, but how they match up, of course, we got to get into it right now. I like Masvidal in this fight because I think he is the better striker. I know Diaz pushes such a sick, relentless pace that he just overwhelms his opponents. And, and you know, you basically – you hit him with the shot, and he's coming right back at you with two or three in your face. And that pace that he sets just kind of wears out most people. But I think Masvidal, he's never been in better shape. I know he has had tendencies in the past, if you look back at some of his fights, that he has slowed down, started to cruise a little bit, take his foot off gas. But – Honestly, since he's been at welterweight, I mean, the guy has that killer instinct. He's been um, working, I think, relentlessly on his conditioning and, and just kind of getting that muscle mass put on. I mean, he's he's never looked better physically. I don't think his cardio's ever been better either. So there's a lot to like about Masvidal as far as conditioning goes, too. I mean, like I said, he's, he's never been better in that regard. So I think you're going to see a guy that can kind of withstand the Diaz pressure that he typically puts on his opponents. And he's also the type of guy that can kind of sit in the pocket and absorb some of those punches and then land a couple harder shots on Diaz as well. And he's also the type of guy that's going to be picking apart Diaz's leg. I know Diaz, Diaz is starting to, you know, show some life and check some of those kicks at times, but not every time. And he does take some punishment. I mean, that's a path to victory against Diaz to take his boxing away is get the, you know, get rid of that lead leg, of course, against him as well. I mean, you start doing damage to that leg, then his boxing starts to slow down a little bit as well. He can't put that pressure on that he wants to, but not an easy task. I think it's a task though, that Masvidal can probably get done. So that's why I kind of like him in this fight. I mean, again, they're both durable. They're both going to come at it, and they're both going to bring it, and they're both not going to want to go away. But I think ultimately, Masvidal does get it done, and I think he actually gets it done inside the distance as well because I think he could bust Diaz up along the way. Possibly, I mean, Diaz, the brothers, both of them, Nick and Nate, tend to cut. We saw the scar tissue, especially Nick. I mean, he's even worse than Nate at this point, but Nate does have that tendency to cut and get busted open at times as well. So I think Masvidal is going to bust him open throughout the five-round fight. I think Masvidal is going to land the cleaner shots, and this fight is going to be grueling enough that eventually he's going to be able to land that kill shot away. So despite Diaz being, all, I mean, as tough as he is, I think this is a spot where Masvidal, it's no joke that he's been finishing people at welterweight. I mean, his power is legit. He's going to get through, and he's going to hurt Diaz on the feet here. So I like Masvidal to win this fight. Obviously, I mean, I think anything under 2-1, to one, there is a little bit of value on Masvidal. Now, you can't go crazy, of course, especially if it does creep up towards 2-1 to one, because you got to respect Diaz. And if it gets to the scorecards, it's certainly going to be interesting because I think it's going to be a competitive fight. Uh, so be careful out there. But I do like Masvidal, and I do like him kind of inside the distance ball. So my pick is Masvidal to win the BMF title. 
Yeah, and, and I'm right with you. Uh, Masvidal is going to be throwing the, the heavier shots. Masvidal is an elite counter striker. Uh, Masvidal is going to be the stronger fighter here. Um, what ha- what's going to happen is, uh, I think, uh, Masvidal is going to be potentially hurting Diaz along the way. But the thing that scares me, and this has historically been a problem with Masvidal is, uh, he can get off to a really strong start, just almost finish an opponent, and then start to coast a little bit. Uh, it's happened uh, multiple times throughout his his career. It happened like in the Ally Quinta fight. It happened in the KJ Moon fight. Uh, you know, and, and then he ends up potentially losing decisions that he had no business losing. Like he's had a lot of tough decisions go against him. I mean, there's a reason that you know he is now just entering you know his fight prime. But has 13 losses. So, you know, this is a guy that, that still makes a lot of mistakes, uh, even though he is elite, absolutely elite. Uh, takedown defense is strong. Uh, uh, you know, everything about him is like right now firing on all cylinders at this point in his career. Um, Nate Diaz, on the other hand, uh, you know, this is another guy that is fighting very well, but you know, he's only fought one time in the past like three years, four years. So, uh, that's a, a huge concern for me because his only win is Anthony Pettis, who I felt, you know, is on the decline. And, uh, yes, Diaz looked solid against him, but that's his only fight since August of 2016. So I don't think beating Anthony Pettis sets you up, uh, to, to take on Masvidal. I don't think that that's going to build that, that same level of confidence like beating Pettis would in, you know, three years ago. So. Uh, potentially Diaz could be in over his head. Now, in terms of fighting style, I think we all know how Diaz fights at this point. Uh, he has this crazy pace. Uh, he throws a lot of volume. Um, and he just kind of keeps that pitter patter thing going in your face. But what's, what's interesting is, uh, Masvidal actually can keep up on volume. Uh, Masvidal is actually not too far behind on significant strikes landed per minute. And Masvidal actually is the, uh, the more accurate fighter of the two. Uh, Masvidal also has way better striking defense. Uh, like it's not even close. Uh, like he, like Masvidal's at about 67% striking defense in terms of avoiding getting hit. Uh, Diaz is just barely over 50. So while Diaz is out here doing his thing, doing the little slap boxing, uh, the pitter patter shots that, you know, mixing in the big heavy strikes, I think Masvidal is just going to be countering with big bombs. And we've seen Diaz get hurt. You know, it doesn't happen. You know, he doesn't get knocked out all the time. That only happened the one time against uh, Josh Thompson. But uh, obviously McGregor dropped him about four or five times in the two fights that they had. So, uh, and, and Diaz has been hurt repeatedly throughout his career, just never finished. So uh, I can absolutely see Masvidal landing some big bombs, some big counter strikes as Diaz gets a little over aggressive step pressing forward. And I think Masvidal can knock Diaz out for sure. Uh, as Nick mentioned, you know, at first Masvidal hadn't quite settled in when he moved up to the welterweight division, but he clearly is ready to go now at this point after the, the knockout of Till, after the, the knockout of, uh, Askren. I mean, he is, uh, physically at the the perfect point for uh, that transition to welter. It took a little time, but he's right there. Um, and I think uh, 
that Montreal is just going to be landing the better strikes over the course of uh, the five rounds and, and will land the more damaging strikes. I think it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for Masvidal to win by a doctor stoppage because of Diaz being so easy to, to bust open with cuts. Um, you know, he has a lot of scar tissue around his eyes and I think Masvidal is going to be cracking him with some big headshots and those are going to be opened up. So I think doctor stoppage actually is a very realistic possibility for how this fight uh, finishes. Now, my one concern is uh, that Diaz is elite with his conditioning. And if Masvidal pushes the pace too hard early, maybe he hurts Diaz, goes for the kill, doesn't get it, he could get tired. And uh, Diaz could take over as this fight goes on because, uh, you know, this is just a guy that can go and go and go like the Energizer Bunny. So that's my main concern. But I think overall, just Masvidal is the better fighter at this point. So I think it's the job done. I think Masvidal by uh, stoppage is not uh, a bad bet here. So if you like Masvidal, I think, uh, you know, bet him by TKO. So Masvidal is going to be my pick. So that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC 244. If we have a free play to give out, make sure to follow at MMA OB Premium on Twitter because that's where we'll post them first. We can also notify you of our free bets via email alert if you prefer that method. Just send an email to picks at MMAoddsbreaker.com and we'll add you to our free betting list. Special thanks to BetDSI. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend.